Hi, welcome back. It's Just Ask the Question. I'm your host, Brian Karam, and uh, joining me for our Sunday news wrap-up, as usual, is former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and uh, editor-at-large and columnist Bon Vivant, John Bennett from CQ Roll Call. And uh, so this week, we're going to be talking about the Letitia James case, the special master update, and of course, the ability to conjure spirits as the former president wants and needs. So stick around. We'll be right back. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast. Hi, welcome back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. And once again with us is John Bennett and Michael Zeldin. And uh, we're going to start talking about the news of the week with the, uh, well, a couple of the surprises of this week. And we'll start with, <clears throat> of course, the special master update, the uh, special master chosen by Donald Trump and the uh, Department of Justice. They agreed on a special mas- uh, master, Judge Deary, after uh, it was requested by Trump to have anything that was uh, happened at in the uh well, he calls it a raid, but the search at Mar-a-Lago by the DOJ wanted it reviewed before the uh, Department of Justice could use the information. And this week, a bit of a setback for Trump. And we'll start with uh, the first one, of course, is the fact that uh, in, on appeal, the Department <clears throat> of Justice has been told they can continue their investigation while the special master goes over the information that was obtained in the uh, um, search warrant. And we'll start with that. And Michael, I, I guess the question the lead, that leads off is how important is the fact that they can now continue their investigation or is it appealable again? Well, perhaps is appealable again, but the 11th Circuit decision was pretty strongly worded and it in no uncertain terms said Judge Cannon got it wrong, the district court judge, and that the Justice Department is able to continue its criminal investigation and that the special master um, should start reviewing non-classified documents and that the <clears throat> case of damage assessment should proceed as well. So it was sort of an upbraiding of Judge Cannon by the Court of Appeals, which, you know, not that it matters necessarily, but the Court of Appeals three-judge panel had one Obama and two Trump appointees on that three-judge panel. So it wasn't a political 
panel, you know, that one could rail against because the former president essentially lost in the Court of Appeals and he lost unanimously with two of his judges voting uh, against him. So the case will proceed. They'll determine whether or not there was a there was damage to national security by the president, former president, taking these documents with him, and they will continue their criminal investigation to determine whether or not an indictment is warranted against whomever. And but John, and this one's to you, as as we both have covered this, um, it should prevent Donald Trump from uh, railing against the decision, but it won't necessarily do that, will it? <clears throat> No, that's what he does. I, I, he, he rants, he raves. He plays victim. He falsely tells his supporters at rallies and truth social and statements that they're not really going after him, that he hasn't, couldn't possibly ever do anything wrong, that the Justice Department, and you know now it's run by radical left, radical leftists who are really coming after, after them in their small towns um, in the South and Midwest and, and where his supporters live. So yeah, Trump should keep his mouth shut. Uh, if federal investigators uh, let, knocked on my door today and let me know they were looking into this or that, you know, I'm not going to start tweeting about it. Uh, you know, I would, I, would get, I would get legal counsel and keep my mouth shut. And I'm sure my legal counsel would tell me to keep my mouth shut. Um, we know his legal counsel. We know from Pat Cipollone, the former White House, uh, uh, White House counsel, that yes, his legal people have told him over the years, Brian, you know, from Michael Cohen, they have told him to keep his mouth shut over the years. And sometimes he listens, like when he was recently uh, set for a deposition, uh, such as it was with the New York State Attorney General, he took the fifth for what, four, four and a half hours. Yeah. So he can keep his mouth shut, but he usually doesn't, to your point. And he did it again this week. Um, he went on his buddy Hannity's show on Wednesday night and they just they just spent an hour talking about all these federal and state investigations. And and Trump never once said, well, you know, Sean, I shouldn't comment on that. That's an ongoing investigation. Oh, you know, um, A.G. James asked me about that. And and I took the fifth then. So I'm not going to get into it here. He just he just goes and goes and goes and he can't help himself, really. And, you know, I thought Wednesday night and several different occasions, he might've, he, he might've, you know, talked himself into more legal hot water. Yeah. And that's, yeah, and that's the question I've had for you, Michael, is <clears throat> I know federal prosecutors <laughs> or a few of them who would listen to stuff like that and go, okay, here's, we can use this or we can at least move with this and move in, a, in another direction. It gives us something to look at further. Is it a wise decision for uh, Donald Trump to be shooting his mouth off while he's going through all of this? Of course not. He is um, well advised to say no comment. And um, but as John said, this is not what he does. He doesn't have those genes, generally speaking. And you know, whether he says something on Hannity that a prosecutor will will use against him, it's hard to say because you know mostly he's just freebasing. Uh, in, in, in these sort of conversations. And I don't know whether or not you'll- I think he probably uh, is freebasing. But <laughs> <laughs> that's a different context, but go ahead. <laughs> so, you know, he, he 
famously <laughs> in social media terms, he said that he could just think about declassification and classific declassification would occur. And as Seth Myers or somebody said, and he got that counsel from Tinkerbell. Yeah. And, um, but so I'm not sure that, that you, you would use that necessarily, but everyone knows that when you're under criminal investigation and you have counsel, the best thing is to, is to let your counsel speak for you and for you to raise no voice of your own. Well, to your point about the, the magic wand waving, um, that was one of the things that <clears throat> was probably most surprising. And the, the counter, of course, you know, when I asked people close to the former president, I, I said, well, what's the, if he thinks that it's uh, if he just merely thinks it and it's uh, now declassified, what's to keep President Biden from thinking that it's reclassified? waving his magic wand and they go no no you know pretty much that only works for donald <laughs> and uh john you had your own interesting take on that from being on the hill this week right well i mean this just occurred to me um if could could president obama former president obama think about some of those documents and reclassify <laughs> them could could george w I, jimmy carter's still alive yeah. <laughs> uh, did, does he also have telepathic declassification powers in his post-presidency? Yeah. Uh, he was out and about recently. Jimmy, uh, Jimmy and Rosalind were out publicly. Anyway, sorry. Um, this is what happens when you talk about Trump. Uh, anything, you can go down any rabbit hole. Yeah, I decided um, as I was sitting right here listening to Trump Wednesday night, I was going to the Hill anyway on Thursday, and I had a plan for my newsletter and I just ripped that up and I decided I was just going to ask uh, lawmakers about Trump, Trump's claim that he could think, just think about declassifying or, or think about taking a document somewhere and it's magically declassified. So it was just another surreal moment covering this guy where I, you know, I'm, I'm on the Hill and I'm asking senators if they've ever witnessed Trump's telepathic powers. Can he think things true? And, you know, a lot of the Republicans, you know, it, they get mad at us For when you ask questions. about things that Trump mm -hmm. says or claims he makes. And, you know, I had an aide call me and say, well, you can't ask my boss that and you embarrass them. And, you know, it's the three of us in a hallway. I don't know why he was embarrassed. But and I, I finally had to tell her, look, I didn't say it. Trump said it. He's the most likely nominee for your party, the most likely nominee for your party's presidential nomination. It's news. And oh, by the way, there's all these federal investigations. So, you know, a lot of the Republicans just didn't want to talk about it. Um, and the Democrats that I talked to were just flabbergasted. They, you know, how do you and, react to that? that yeah, I mean, how, right. How, how do, do you react, react to, to, to pure speculation, pure right. theory, pure fiction? I had a, a few Republicans didn't like how I framed the question and and the aides, their press people reached out to me and I said, well, there's no serious way to ask the question. It, it, it's such an outlandish claim that, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to say, you know, uh, Senator, um, uh, does the former president have telepathic powers? And is that a legitimate way to declassify a sensitive document? You can't ask it that way because I well, sound yeah. like an idiot. You sound like an, you, you have to ask it a little outrageously because it's such an outrageous thing for Trump to have said. So it was just another surreal day. Um, and when I sat down to write for, on the Hill on, on Thursday, 
you know, I, it's enough. You just take a moment and you kind of stare off into space and you think, you know, I, I can't believe that that I just spent, you know, three hours talking to people about this. And now I get to, I get to spend another hour and a half uh, writing about it. it it's just it, well, it's, he 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 he's not a gift, but he's I mean, for us, he keeps on giving. And, you know, the last thing. You know, he's got all these investigations now. Now it's a numbers game. Can he outrun all of them? Can he avoid one indictment? You know, it, that it, it seems like it's it's just harder and harder for me to see that that he gets that that he escapes all of these unscathed. Yeah, and but to your point, and one of the reasons why why I started this weekend thing is to take a look at how the press handles it. This is one of the most important things that we handle as a press is the the state of mind. Uh, of people that are running for the highest office or or Congress, some of the highest offices, and yet at the same time, <clears throat> we're how we're held accountable. The people in office want to hold us accountable for the questions that we have about them. The pushback from us has to be looked pal, like you said. It's not. I didn't invent this issue. You all did, and right. it has been, to me, one of the most suffocating, most difficult things to handle with uh donald trump because he always has has started out by saying look uh we're the enemy of the people we're the ones causing the problems by merely asking questions about what they are doing that would be as if michael zeldin you were a federal prosecutor and you're asking questions of someone who's on trial and they go see they're against me there's nothing that i can do this guy is out to get me well maybe but for good reason there's facts there that back up asking those particular questions sir you were in possession of five pounds of cocaine how did you get it sir you did say that you could wave a magic wand and 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 make shit go away and you can't and not even a magic wand he he said he could just think about about it it. he didn't even say think that it's declassified just (laughs) that if he had a passing thought in the elevator maybe i should declassify that Oh, it's declassified. Yeah, it just it it doesn't meet logic, and I don't think the press covered it that well at all. I think more people should have done exactly what I did, and I was on the hill. I heard other reporters. They're asking their questions for the stories that you know they're working on stories. Sometimes you got to scrap it, and just and just focus on something like that 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 some claim that Trump made because he needs to be held accountable and the people that have propped him up and defended him need to be asked about it and whether they condemn such an outrageous claim. But, you know, let's ask if the per let's ask for the 400th time, if the permitting bill might be attached to the CR next week in a negotiation that won't really begin until Tuesday. Right. Right. Well, getting bound in minutia is one of our biggest problems. The inability to frame an argument is what really frustrates the living shit out of me as a as a reporter is just our flat out inability to frame the argument and and present you know a question that's cogent and speaks to the issue uh michael i guess i'll throw that into the realm of a federal prosecutor what if you walked into a, a you know a court and couldn't frame the argument and you couldn't you couldn't hold people accountable i don't think you'd be long for the world as a prosecutor well to to the point that you guys are discussing the court of appeals and the special master both has have said to to Trump, put up or shut up. Essentially, yes. Show us that you declassified, and if you cannot prove 
to us that you declassified, then the presumption is with the DOJ that it remains classified. So what we have had going on for the last few weeks is the pres former president saying outside of the courtroom, these documents were declassified by whatever process, telepathic or, or otherwise. <laughs> and the um, lawyers <clears throat> defending him have never said that directly in court. They've danced right. around it. And the 11th Circuit in its appeal appellate decision and the special master in his decision said, prove it. Prove that you declassified these things. And if you, and as I said, if you, if you can't prove it, then they weren't declassified. And right. they have, you know, a, a short deadline within which to, to prove that. Similarly, Trump said, you know, on social media and otherwise that the FBI may have planted documents uh, during their search. And the special master said to Trump, take a look at this inventory that lists all of the documents and tell me in a court filing and therefore you know, under oath, if you will, um, which if any of these documents did not come from Mar-a-Lago. So essentially, you're out there saying they may have planted it. Here's the list. Which ones were planted? So now the lawyers have this you know, very difficult situation on their hands, which is they're going to have to say, I expect in court, that nothing from the, that list was not taken from Mar-a-Lago, and that no, he did not engage in a formal process to declassify. And uh, then, you know, that's sort of telling of where the truth and where the fiction of the narrative that Trump is spinning um, resides. I, and, and then further, it would be upon us, as John has done, and as I recommend <clears throat> that we all do, is go back to his supporters and go, all right, the special master said it was bullshit. Uh, are you going to still defend it and see where it goes? Because it's been my experience that these people that are left that will follow him, they will follow him to the ends of the earth, and we need to hold them accountable for that. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about the other big case this week with Donald Trump, and that is uh, up in New York and the uh, New York Attorney General filing a civil suit against him. Letitia James has filed a $250 million lawsuit against the Donald Trump organization. As you mentioned earlier, John, I, I spoke with Michael Cohen earlier this week who said, that's it. That's the end of Donald Trump's organization. They'll never survive this particular uh, lawsuit. And she was very specific on some of the things that they filed suit against the Trump organization for, such as claiming that an apartment was worth much more than it was. And, and James saying there's no apartment in New York City that's worth that much. He lied about the uh, square footage. It was 11,000 square feet. He claimed it was 33,000 square feet. He inflated the price of Mar-a-Lago, what, 10 or 100 times what it was. He bought it at 75 million, I think, and said it was worth 750 million. Right. And she was very, very specific in the accusations against Donald Trump. She said it publicly. It's part of a 220 page pleading. Uh, Michael, uh, legally, is that I mean, does that that doesn't portend well for Donald Trump, does it? So I always say that what's important to remember in litigation, whether it's civil litigation or criminal lit litigation, 
<clears throat> that is that the complaint filed by Letitia James or an indictment returned by a prosecutor is their side of the story in their best foot forward. Yep. So this is their this is their story. And so then the question is, well, what's the response? You know, it's the top of the first and you've just you know, score to run. Now the other team gets to bat in the bottom of the first and what can they do? And so we really, I think, to be fair, have to say Letitia James filed a compelling piece of paper. And now let's see what the response is. Because as we know, people lose cases. They file cases yeah. which on the paper looks great um, and in practice isn't uh, as good in the end. And so what she did was to say in her papers that the president used false and, and misleading statements to banks and insurance companies in order to get them to lend them money uh, for him to pay off loans and to induce insurers to give coverage at higher premiums and lower, higher values and lower premiums. And uh, he did so in a fraudulent manner. And she is, as you said, Brian, very specific saying yeah. a, a particular piece of property was valued at 200 million um, by appraisers. And then he put it a $530 million um, Price tag on it. appraisal yeah. for the, for the same piece of, of property. And so we'll just, we'll see. And, and, there's going to be this is going to be a long case and most of these cases most of most cases like this stretch out for a long time and then on the courthouse steps they settle similar yeah. to similar to the trump university and similar to the trump nonprofit where he you know complained that this was not valid litigation and then at, on the 11th uh, hour, at the 11th hour, he settled. I, I think this case will settle. I don't know what the admissions will be. I can't imagine that Trump wants to go to trial and sit before a judge or a jury and be asked, you know, questions under oath there or refuse to testify. Because if he refuses to testify, then, you know, that is an in, in a civil case that an inference can be drawn that what he would have said would have been uh, not in his favor. Well, the but question, the thing, wait, Ryan, just, I just okay. want to say one thing. And so, so on the paper, we have a strong case. Uh, you know, I, I love this quote that Yogi Berra said, which is, the diff there is, some say there's no difference in theory between theory and practice. In practice, there is. Yeah. So, you know, in practice, meaning in court, she's got she's to prove her case. Now, Michael Cohen and others have said, you know, this is the, 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 the death of Trump. But we have to remember that this case has been pending before the Manhattan District Attorney's Office in, and the Southern District of New York's office for a pretty long time. And Cohen came forward three years ago, three years, yeah, with, three these, years ago. With, with these allegations, and no one has decided to pro proceed criminally. Um, and that should give one pause. Now, maybe all they can determine is that in a civil case where the evidence standard is preponderance rather than proof beyond a reasonable doubt, that they could get there. 
but that they can't prove this beyond a reasonable doubt in a, in a, in a criminal context. So when you think, well, well this is a slam dunk case. to do with Michael Cohen, right? I mean, the, the, the fear <clears throat> of proceeding forward with a criminal case with Michael Cohen, who has been uh, convicted of lying, makes it a little harder to, to get to you know, over preponderance. You, you might be able to get preponderance, but I don't think you get without a reasonable doubt. Well, except what I'm told. Right. Except, of course, that the Southern District of New York and the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, they have the same subpoena powers that Letitia James has. Right. So any evidence that she could acquire, they could acquire. My take is we'll see. We'll see. On, its, on the paper, it looks good, but it has to be proved in, in a court of law. Now, the question that I have had, knowing, and, and Michael, you know him far better than I do, but I don't think that anything that's going on with any of these cases against Donald Trump has escaped the purview of Merrick Garland. I don't know that this is a coordinated first step and in, in, in that will lead to further uh, or, or two criminal charges or further civil charges or further civil action against Donald Trump. But it's hard for me knowing, A, that there have been people from the Department of Justice who have consulted with the New York Attorney General that, that this case proceeded without Merrick Garland being at least knowledgeable about where she's going when she stood up there. In other words, I don't think Merrick Garland was was broadsided or surprised by the statement and the and the press conference that Letitia James gave this week. I, uh, I would I would think that true, uh, especially yeah. if they're sharing evidence among the DA in New York, the U.S. Attorney in New York, and Letitia James. Anything that goes to the U.S. Attorney in New York is going to be brought to Merrick's uh, attention. Yeah, but I, you know, and I would go further and say that I think all of that knowing how Merrick Garland operates was at least tacitly approved or at least acknowledged by, maybe not approved, but acknowledged by Garland saying, yeah, all right, fine, cool. We're good with this, go. You know, I, I don't think that at any point in time is he going to be surprised uh, because as I said, uh, knowing him to be as meticulous as he is, it it really would be hard for me to believe that that, um, that wouldn't proceed without them at least going, yes, we know it exists, no problem, go for it. Well, he wouldn't approve or disapprove the no, civil right. lawsuit. Yeah, but he would, but the question I have for John, and this goes back to the press again, we are constantly saying, well, the hell is it Merrick Garland arrested him already and throwed his ass in jail? And we, we constantly follow that narrative without really taking into account how the wheels of justice, uh, you know, they move slowly. It's much easier to commit a crime than it is to prosecute someone for doing it. Even if you got a picture of them shooting someone in the face, it's often hard. But um, yet those of us in the press, especially some younger reporters and, and those who love clickbait, have always taken up arms against Merrick Garland saying he's not moving nearly fast enough. Yeah, yes? it seems like he is. He's moving plenty fast. Uh, like you guys have said, uh, this is going to take a while. This is this. These investigations are all going to be very long. Um, it seems like to me that that he is moving and and he is gathering evidence and talking to witnesses and doing everything you would expect him to do. Um, and and 
on the on the flip side um if he was moving faster then you know i, I think the press would then um do stories and segments on cable about is he moving too fast is he going to botch the investigation right. so you know he's you know it's it's a damned if you do damned if you don't job to start with and then you throw trump in and all the emotions and and the the divisions in the country um and you know it garland should just you know he should just do what he's doing and he should go at it, the pace that he's comfortable with and his team is comfortable with uh he's, he shouldn't watch too much cnn or or msnbc and, and certainly not fox um they should just they should just do what they're trained to do do what they've always done and and he's going to get criticized no matter what he does yeah i have often said if the if uh if justice is blind the press is blind and deaf <laughs> But can I add one thing, which sure. to, uh, as we're talking about Merrick Garland, what's going on in DC also is some litigation around whether or not the attorneys to President, uh, former President Trump, can be required to testify before the grand jury about conversations they had with Donald Trump pertaining to the January 6th insurrection. And they, to a person have come, well, Hirschman hasn't, but they have come before the grand jury, answered questions, but have said there are certain areas that the former president is asserting executive privilege with, res with respect to. And so that that is being litigated now in secret because it's a grand jury matter. So it'll be captioned in Ray grand jury number one or right. whatever. Um, and Merrick Garland is pushing the issue that executive privilege should not apply in this first, that Donald Trump doesn't have the right to assert executive privilege, but even if he did, then in the context of this case, privilege should be overcome and they should be able, they should be required to testify. So it's, if you will, in some sense, part two of the litigation that was started with Richard Nixon and the tapes, remember? Right. He tapes people in his office. We learn about those tapes. The prosecutor says, I want those tapes. He says they're executive privilege protected. The Supreme Court says, maybe, but not in this context, because this is a, a criminal investigation and the grand jury has a, a superseding overriding interest in them and they had to produce the tapes and the rest is, is history. The same thing is going on right now where Garland is saying, I want the oral testimony of Cipollone and Philbin and Hirschman and all of the others who gave Trump legal or other advice with respect to the January 6th case. And if he prevails on that case, which might end up in the Supreme Court, if he prevails on that case, then all the January 6th testimony that we didn't hear when people said, I can't answer that question because the former president has asserted his executive privilege um, prerogatives. If they win that case, then we'll really learn what happened on January 6th. And that will be, I think, a tipping point in that investigation. So there's a stay tuned, keep your eye out for how that particular when do we case expect plays that decision? out. They don't know because it's all being done. Uh, you know, because there it's a great jury, it's yeah. being done um, without public disclosure. And so we don't know what stage they're up to. CNN reported 
that the, the three of Trump's lawyers who are working on this case were in federal court last week. So we don't know whether that's the beginning, the middle or the end, but we do know this is what this litigation is about. Merrick Garland trying to make sure that he gets every bit of evidence available to him to understand what went on on January 6th. So that's an important case to keep your listening audience attuned to. And on that note, we'll take a short break. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about the six cases of the six cases of separation of Donald Trump. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you and we need your help. Seriously. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash JATQ podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask a Question. I am your host, Brian Kerman. With us, Michael Zeldin and John Bennett talking about the wonderful cases uh, pending in the U.S. or or the investigations into Donald Trump and more on that. And uh, guys, I'm going to take a little tack here and see if we can. um, We've got six cases I want to go through. And I'd like to get um, from Michael where you think we are um, prosecutorially or uh, in the law. And John, how do you think we've covered it? in the press. Uh, and here are the six cases. We have the Department of Justice FBI investigation to, into the White House documents, the DOJ investigation into the January 6th insurrection, the House Select Committee investigation into Trump role, Trump's role on January 6th. Of course, we're going to have a public hearing on that Wednesday. Uh, then the Fulton County Georgia District Attorney looking at attempts to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election. The New York State Attorney General's civil lawsuit against the Trump Organization for inflating and devaluing assets, which we've gone over quite a bit. And then the Manhattan District Attorney's Office looking into fraud and tax evasion at the Trump Organization. And a trial begins uh, in the case on October 24th. I believe that's with uh, Weisel, right? Weiselberg. So let's start with, uh, Michael, the Department of Justice investigation into White House documents. Where do you think that stands legally at this point? Well, I think that the White House documents are not going to be privileged and that I think they're going to be obtained. And then once obtained and analyzed, we'll decide whether they'll decide whether or not anything about that is criminal. But the, the good news is that they, they should be obtained and they should be analyzed and that sh- should end that litigation. When do you think we would be a, that information would be available? I don't know is the answer. I would expect a case like that will move quickly. Okay. John, how do you think we've covered that? How do you think the press has covered the DOJ investigation into the White House documents? Um, you know, it's, it's, I think we've done okay. Um, it's hard to, to give a grade because, uh, you know, we don't know the severity completely of, of what Trump did because we don't we don't we haven't seen the documents so I think <laughs> I think the grade is incomplete 
Um, I don't think necessarily the press has done a, a bad job. Have we framed it well enough so people understand the argument? Uh, pr- probably not on, on the whole. Um, I think, you know, there have been, there has been some good reporting. Uh, of course, the Post and the Times, they've done some, some really good reporting on this. Um, I don't know how much it, I, I think it does matter, actually, um, the framing and, and what's in the documents. Um, when I was recently in uh, Eastern Virginia, I wrote in a column about this and I overheard um, uh, a, a, an older couple with their, I guess their grown son, they were at a restaurant and, you know, the dad, you know, he said, well, you know, I'm a Trump supporter. And they were talking about the documents and he said, but if it's, if it's nuclear, I know that complicates things. So, you know, I think it, it will resonate with people. I mean, if he took, if he took secrets about U.S. Uh, nuclear, nuclear weapons programs to Mar-a-Lago, or uh, if he took information about Iran's or Saudi Arabia or, you know, Israel or whoever, um, you know, I think people draw, I think they connect that dot to why did he take it? Like we've talked about, I still want to know the why and how he was um, thinking about using the documents or maybe did use the documents. And, and as we've said, I think people get there pretty quickly with this guy um, and they wonder if there was a profit motive. So, you know, I think, yeah. I don't think we framed it quite well enough. We also, I, I think folks don't want to speculate on that because it could be that serious. Um, so I, there, I, and I know, I, I'm sure we can all fill it in, in our own newsrooms. There is a responsibility that we have to, to hold ourselves back and, and not speculate too much. Well, I'm not even talking about speculation. The thing that bothers me, I think, that we haven't reported well enough on is that there may have been human assets compromised in those. And that, to me, is the most disturbing thing is we haven't. People don't seem to understand that this just wasn't classified paper. There are people, there are are reasons why those things are redacted. There are reasons why those things are classified. And most of them have to do with human assets. So that, to me, would be, I, I think, where we've done the worst on that. I'll move on to the DOJ investigation and the January 6th insurrection. Um, Michael, do you think that it, that is, uh, again, the card on on uh, on the DOJ in, in, in uh, proceeding? How have they done? Well, I think they're proceeding methodically. This is a very complicated case, factually, to gather all the facts, and then legally, because the nature of the charges against, leave the insurrectionists aside. On, on the insurrectionist cases, they're all doing pretty well, I think. People are right. pleading guilty or being convicted and, and the more serious of those cases are finding the defendants getting multiple years in prison for, for their actions. But when you talk about the senior people, if you will, the Trumps, the Giuliani's, the Eastman's, those types of people. Those are very complicated cases factually and legally. And what I was talking about just before the break about Merrick Garland and the Justice Department trying to make sure that they get the testimony of the senior advisors to Trump about what they were talking about. And I think there's a guy, former senator, former congressman from Virginia, who has a book out who worked on the January 6th investigation for a short period of time, who was saying that in his book, in his forthcoming book, that there was a call put through that they found the metadata on from the White House 
to a January 6th insurrectionist during the insurrectionist, during the insurrection from the White House um, switchboard to a call. They don't, he said they didn't know who placed the call, but that the, a call was, was placed. So, I mean, that sort of stuff is really important because if someone from the inner circle called a, a Proud Boys leader um, to say something, and then they can find out who did that and what was said, that's a key piece of evidence. Similarly, if Cipollone and, and, and Philbin and Hirschman, the, the lawyers, or Mark Meadows, um, the senior advisor, uh, chief of staff, can be required to tell a grand jury the nature of their communication with Donald Trump, then we may get that missing link of what is it that Trump was doing that could get us to criminal intent. So well, that, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. So, as I say, so that, that, that to me is the, the, the most important uh, missing link in the January 6th investigation. And until we get it, it's really hard to say whether any of those people that I mentioned, the Eastman's and Giuliani's and type and will and be held accountable, like can, can be legally held up can legally be held accountable that the law allows them to be held accountable. Now that's, and, and that begs the question that I've, I've often asked or in the last few days I've asked quite a bit is, and maybe you can answer it is, if that call from the White House to the insurrectionists, well, if it's Donald Trump who did it, done. But if it's someone else in the White House who reported to Donald Trump, Mark Meadows, uh, anyone else that was in the White House, Judd Deere, if it was anyone who worked for Donald Trump, and I'm not accusing Judd of taking that phone call, but just you know, that level of, of employee, is that enough to link Donald Trump directly to the Proud Boys, or does it need to be, you know, one-on-one? -on -one? No, it doesn't have to be one-on-one, -on -one, but it has to be pretty fact-specific. And you know, it's easy just to analogize to any other type of criminal conspiracy or criminal organization. You can have the leader of a conspiracy saying to one of the deputies, go do this. And that person does do that. And then the whole thing is uh, disclosed and, and everyone is arrested. The fact that the person who said, go do this, didn't in fact do it, but had somebody else do it doesn't get that person off the hook. They're right. equally liable, just like in the felony murder rule. Uh, if there's a, a murder committed in the context of a felony, everybody who's part of the conspiracy is can be held liable for that murder. So the, the example is, I'm driving the getaway car, and that's my only role. You two go into the bank to rob it, and our agreement beforehand is, no one gets hurt, but stuff happens and someone gets killed. You can get in the car and we drive away and then all three of us are arrested. All three of us can be charged with murder under this felony murder rule, even though I was just the driver of the getaway car. So that's a long-winded answer to say, if there's directions given to others who are part of a conspiracy, then all of the co-conspirators are held equally liable. John, in that regard, the DOJ, investi DOJ investigation, the insurrection. Also, um, I'm going to tie this and get your comments on both on the House Select Committee's investigation into Trump's role on January 6th. Um, we have another hearing this week. 
we have reported, I think, and you know, if, if feel free to disagree with me, but I think we've we've tried to cover that as best as we can, considering how limited in intelligence many of us in the press are. Uh, but we have covered that, uh, blanketed that. It, it, how's your feeling about how we've covered that DOJ investigation and the House Select Committee's investigation? I think we've done a better job covering the uh, <clears throat> the House investigation for sure. Um, we know how to cover a hearing. We can still do that. And, um, you know, the Hill, the Hill is, is more porous than DOJ. So, um, if, when the committee has, has had something, uh, we found out about it before a public hearing usually, or, uh, we found out a lot more about it, uh, with reporting after a hearing and, you know, members talk, staffers talk. So, yeah, I think we've done the, the, I think the media has done a good job covering the uh, the Jan Six uh, Select Committee. What do you think and, of uh, the um, the um, I guess it was the pre pre uh, pre launch uh, from Raskin Jamie Raskin saying we may be hearing something about Roger Stone this week. Was that a surprise to you? Not really, because uh, Mr. Stone uh, has 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 popped in and out of Trump world for years. Um, and we know that he was involved uh, before the riot. He was involved in the rally and, and everything. Uh, so, no, I'm not surprised that, that we're going to hear something about Roger Stone um, at all. Um, I hope they, you know, I, I do. I, I hope there's more than I hope this is more than a Roger Stone hearing because, yeah. um, you know, they still haven't connected some of those dots like we talked about here and, and you and I have written. Uh, I still want to see some of the, I, I think it's important if they can connect the dots all the way back to Trump to do so. Now they may use Mr. Stone to start doing that. Uh, we know that we, th we think he could probably get many people in Trump's inner circle on the phone. Um, maybe he can still, maybe he at that time could still get the Donald himself on the phone. So, you know, maybe this was a case of, of Stone relaying information to Trump or Meadows so, so maybe they can use, uh, they, they can use stone to get, you know, to inch closer to Trump or, or at least get inside the West wing, be it a Mark Meadows or, or, or somebody like that. And, uh, I guess then the question goes to, uh, Michael, uh, Fulton County district attorney looking at attempts to overturn the, uh, results of the 2020 presidential election. Uh, where do you, where is that case legally? We again, we don't know because it all goes behind closed doors. We know that the federal, the, the state prosecutor down there has been bringing people before this special grand jury. And we know that they're pretty far along, it would seem, in gathering that testimony. We have to remember, though, in Georgia, what's going on is that this is a special grand jury that's fact finding. This isn't right. an indicting special grand. This is an indicting grand jury. So she's in step one, still in the information gathering stage. And once she does that, then she's got to convene a regular grand jury to present that evidence to it to obtain an indictment. I don't know in Georgia how long that takes to move from one grand jury to another grand jury. We don't know how much she has left to test, get testimony of, and we know she 
fought hard to get Lindsey Graham testimony and um, other um, people like that. Um, so, you know, and you would think told that Giuliani that he's a target of that investigation. Right. So you'd think that we're somewhere in the end of the third quarter, uh, you know, uh, uh, if there's if it's a fourth quarters game um, and there are four quarters in a game, I'm told, um, though some <laughs> football teams don't. No App State doesn't that. know it. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah. <laughs> sorry, John. Right. Um, that's a that's a veiled reference listening audience not, that's not, not so veiled john's football team not showing up yeah, in the fourth just, quarter of a game that they were they had in hand but i knew we'd get there one way or another that, that, it was just a slow that, uh, bleed it's just it was like a slow motion car wreck and you knew you knew how it was going to end you just sit here and live through it so, and, but anyway i think um all teasing aside Ryan, my best guess would be that's where we are. But all of these questions of where are we uh, are, you know, educated guesses, but without actual knowledge. How do you think we've covered that, John? I mean, the the um, we have now. I mean, for example, Michael, what you just said about the two different uh, grand juries is something that hasn't been really talked about too much in the press. The feeling was that hey, this is one grand jury, and at the end of it, he'll be indicted. So um, again, and there are discussions, I know some of the uh, prosecutors down in actually, uh, full disclosure, I have a cousin-in-law who's one of the prosecutors in uh, uh, Fulton County and uh, uh, down in Atlanta. And uh, their concern is, and continues to be, uh, of tampering with a grand jury or tampering from some of the witnesses. Um, John, have we, how we, how have, how do you feel the press has done in, in covering that particular Georgia case? Again, you know, these things are so secretive and, and, and behind closed doors. Um, again, I, it's hard for me to like give a letter grade. Uh, we don't know a lot about where they're headed or and what they might do. Isn't that so, our fault though, for not pursuing it? Probably. I mean, yeah. Probably I mean, to me, sure. it's whenever we don't know, it's like, look, you and I aren't there, but I have a feeling if you and I were there, I know you, you walked into Congress to ask him about the waving of the magic wand and the telepathic abilities at some point in time a, as a reporter, don't, isn't it incumbent upon you to walk in and go, look, I know this is a, a grand jury investigation, but I mean, we would stake out and figure out who is testifying. We would stake mm -hmm. it out. And I mean, some of the things that you and I do on a daily basis, I don't see being done. No, I mean, we're not putting, me. yeah, we're not putting the resources toward it. I don't, you know, I don't, that's I don't my, yeah. see that at all. I don't see any evidence that, that anybody's putting any major resources toward, especially the Georgia uh, investigation. And I, I'm not sure why that is. Uh, yeah, I'm not in those newsrooms. I don't know what decisions are being made, but I'm pretty sure that, that, that those resources are being steered towards stories that, are good for the bottom line. And that kind of reporting takes a while. What you just described, I mean, that's that's weeks and weeks of, of just, that's boots on the ground and we're not right. gonna do that. If, we're not gonna do that if we can just throw somebody on a panel and and talk for 20 minutes. You yeah, know, that, that's, that's pretty that's, cheap. That's pretty cheap, somebody to jump on the Metro or the subway in New York and go to the studio or jump in an Uber. Um, <laughs> yeah. but you got to get you got to get down to where the grand jury is you got to stay in a hotel you got to eat you got to rent a car so that that all costs money 
Yeah. See, there, there's where I'm going. It, it bothers me. That's what bothers me most about how we cover government or anything anymore is that we simply passively do it and wait for them to come out and give us the info without us actually going after the information. And, right. and, and I mean, it's like when you and I were in the white house together, where were we at the white house? Cause that's <laughs> what we, we covered. And I can't tell you the number of times I'd see people on television telling me what went on at the white house. And I'd look around and go, I didn't see him here today. What the fuck do they know? <laughs> and, and so that the coverage what bothered and, and look, Michael, I understand that, you know, the, 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 the grand juries are a secretive process and we can't find out and nor do I want to circumvent or jumpstart what the grand jury is doing. But on the other flip side of it, at least give an accurate representation of what's going on to the American public. They deserve that much. So as an editor, I would go, look. Your, your ass is sitting down there at, at, at the grand jury hearing, and I don't care. You, you tell me who comes in, who comes out. I want to know, and I want you to, you know, ask them questions. They can say nothing. That's fine. But at least make the effort to find out what's going on. Yes, John? Well, so yeah. can I just, can I just. Can yeah, I, go ahead, Michael. I just going to say, so I've said this now three podcasts in a row. I'll say it, I'll say it one more time. On, Three's a charm. Right. On my podcast, That Said with Michael Zeldin, I interviewed Brian Karam <laughs> about his about his book. And in that interview, one of the things that you decried was the lack of local newspaper and local news coverage um, by yeah. investigative reporters. And I think what you guys are talking to here is exactly that same point, which is we should the Atlanta Constitution or uh, other papers that are Georgia-based should have more resources and should be covering this and, and it should be you know, flowing out from them because they are there on the ground. They are just an Uber ride away from the, from the court. But the right. point you made there, Brian, and sort of like the, 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 the slow decline of the American press is that because of bottom line or other uh, issues, there aren't as many experienced local reporters there aren't that many local newspapers anymore and so we are being deprived of that and so we're pushing the pressure on national papers to send reporters down to these jurisdictions that are as you've just said time consuming and expensive as a result and choices have to be made if you're going to cover grand jury testimony, wouldn't it be better if you're the Washington Post to cover this secret grand jury that we just talked about to get the testimony of Cipollone and them right? versus flying somebody down and putting up in a hotel for weeks on end to, to try to do the same thing locally? Yeah, exactly. And, and that brings me to the last of the six cases, and that's the New York, uh, uh, what is it that, uh, make sure I get it right, the Manhattan New York District Attorney's looking to fraud and tax evasion of the Trump, Trump organization, as you mentioned earlier, Michael, that uh, it was uh, Michael Cohen three years ago that helped begin that um, uh, investigation. Now, earlier this week, Alan Bragg said that that investigation continues on the heels of the AG announcing the, um, the civil suit. <clears throat> Where does that sit as far as, as, as going forward legally? What do so you expect? There are actually two cases that you've just referenced there. Right. The, the first 
case is the case of the Trump tax, Trump organization and taxes. Remember, Alan Weisselberg, right. who was the CEO of the Trump organization, pleaded guilty to tax evasion, that he was paid in certain ways that were actually income to him, but he didn't report them. He pleaded guilty. And uh, that now will go forward against the Trump organization for their their side of this tax scheme. And Weisselberg, uh, I, I think, is slated to testify about the nature of that tax um, gambit that they, they played out. Then there's the separate case, which is the criminal side of Letitia James's case, which is the this bank fraud case. That's the case where Special prosecutors were brought in, Pomerantz, and I just can't remember the other person's name, very seasoned prosecutors, uh, under um, Cyrus Vance, the predecessor to Alan Bragg, who is currently the uh, Manhattan District Attorney. Those guys had a case that apparently was ready to be indicted. Um, when Bragg came in, he said he put it on pause because he felt that they didn't have what they needed to get a, an indictment. Uh, uh, and a conviction and that conviction affirmed on appeal. And we'll see now whether, if anything, that Letitia James is going to refer to him. Remember, in her press conference, she said, here's my case. I believe that criminal laws also have been violated. It's not my mandate to prosecute criminal cases. I'm just a civil uh, person. But I've sent all that over to federal and state prosecutors and the Internal Revenue Service. And so if, in fact, new evidence has been sent over to any of those offices and they now look at the new evidence, they might say, yep, that's the piece that we were missing. Or they might say, nope, we still, we're still not there. So we'll have to see. We'll see. But those are two cases. One of them is set for trial. The Trump Organization tax case the is set for trial. And we'll see whether or not there's a guilty plea of some sort in, in, in that case. And the other one is also wait and see if, if if Bragg now thinks that he's got enough to indict on the um, bank and insurance fraud that Letitia James has sued civilly for. For the record, I think that Donald Trump, of all the ones that he would be afraid of, is those three letters, IRS. But maybe, maybe that's just, maybe that's just me. John, <coughs> I'll leave you the last word on this before we go to break. You think we've done that justice? I, again, I, I, there's just so much we don't know, and, and we're not devoting the resources to it, as, as we've said, that, um, and I don't, I don't see that changing uh, yeah. necessarily. And, and back to the Georgia example, you know, it's, it's easier to cover the latest thing that Herschel Walker said, and, and then I could send a reporter, I could send a reporter to the grand jury, or or I could put two reporters on Herschel Walker and get a bunch of clicks on the latest thing he says at a rally somewhere. Um, and newsrooms are more and more tied to the business side. So that's, you know, that's a fairly easy decision. And, and it doesn't, that doesn't equal, we're going to cover the grand jury that we're going to cover Herschel Walker. We're going to feel like we're covering the news, but we're also, we're also, uh, we're also doing a, a business function uh, and we're making money. We're getting clicks and, and, you know, maybe Senator Walker, you know, that that's just <laughs> easier. It's easier to cover with younger reporters 
And it's, it's easier uh, to justify doing that um, because it, it gets clicks. And that is a frightening statement. So click on this. Well, <laughs> we, we're going to stick around. We'll have a few closing discussions when we come back. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, J-A-T-Q podcast. That's J-A-T-Q podcast. Again, that's at J-A-T-Q podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. And as usual, it's our weekend uh, wrap up, uh, you know, Just Ask the Press. And so we're asking. <laughs> and... and <clears throat> Michael, you uh, you hinted at it earlier, and we can't get you know. And you've brought up, let's see, a baseball metaphor and a football metaphor, and something that you said earlier. And so we can't get past the fact that AP, the <laughs> Appalachian State, choked, <laughs> and, and it's John Bennett's favorite team. So John, what happened in the fourth quarter? <laughs> well, it was it started in the third. You you felt this. So App State jumped out twenty eight to three at home against old rival. Uh, James Madison, they've moved up to the upper level of college football. Uh, they've joined our conference. They've joined our division. This is a great thing. The Sun Belt has smartly uh, really built a regional conference with regional rivalries. So this is a good thing. JMU should not be on our level yet. They're going to be very good in FBS football. They don't have the scholarships yet. Um, they're still building and they still have an However. FBS program. However, <laughs> so App State, you know, beat Texas A&M. We get game day, win last week on a Hail Mary, kind of the darlings of college football, us in Kansas. And <coughs> right, jumped out 28 to three yesterday, dominating. We're turning them over. The, the fumbling Dukes, we're putting the ball all over the turf at Kid Brewer. And we're turning turnovers into points, which especially at home, that's what you do, especially in a rivalry game. You want to step on your rival's throat. And we did that. And, you know, look like we were going to look like they stepped on your throat. Yeah, we, <laughs> you were looking. Yeah. You're looking like two more scores here and let's get the backups in. let's let the kids play. And, and they wanted probably do the same. Well, that didn't work out like that. Uh, <laughs> James Madison, that's a quality program. They were a national title winning and contending program in FCS. And they have, they have great athletes, and they came out in the second half. They cleaned it up. They didn't turn the ball over. They turned us over. And you could just feel App State, from the coaches to the players, you know, run it up the middle again, would you? You know, it's one of those games. And you could just feel they just took their foot off the gas. They wanted to coast in. and, and Well, they coasted all right. And they just choked. And you never like it. You never like to feel when your team kind of quit. And it felt that way yesterday. They were feeling good about themselves. Again, national darlings. Um, and I think they thought James Madison would just kind of roll over in the second half. And these are the mighty App State Mountaineers. And we couldn't possibly come back and beat them. And, you know, hopefully it's a wake-up call. 
<laughs> well, it's a loss. <laughs> it's, a com- it's a conference, conference loss. loss. This is when this is how you end up in the Myrtle Beach Bowl, and you don't. Get to- <laughs> this is how you end up not in the New Orleans Bowl, which is our kind of our biggest bowl tie-in in the Sun Belt Conference. You want to go to New Orleans, or do you want to go to Myrtle Beach? Well, <laughs> keep keep this up, and you'll end up in Myrtle Beach. And nobody wants to be in Myrtle Beach. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, Michael, you're, and my question for you is Aaron Judge. You know, I, I think, did I say it last week? That was, uh, I, I ran into someone who, who confused Aaron Judge and Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> it's like, we should have had Aaron, we should have had Aaron Rodgers earlier. I'm going, not the same guy. Uh, you, <laughs> where, where are we with that? So there are a couple of baseball records in the area of home runs that Aaron Judge is uh, chasing. One of them he has caught, which is Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth hit 60 home runs in 154 games. That's how long the season was in Babe Ruth's era. Aaron Judge has hit 60 home runs and he's at 151 games. So he's tied Ruth and he has three more games to get 61 within the 154 game season, and then he'll eclipse Babe Ruth's record. Roger Maris has 61 home runs, and he did that in the expanded 162 game season. So Judge has uh, 11 games left to get to 62 home runs and beat the record of Roger Maris. I don't count the records of um, Barry Bonds and Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire all have close to, Bonds has 70, the others have high 60s because those were steroid um, era uh, home run records. So those are the two that judges is chasing. But perhaps as interesting from a baseball standpoint, New York Yankees baseball standpoint, Aaron Judge is going to win the home run title. Yes. Whether he breaks the record or not, he's 20 plus home runs ahead of his closest competitor. He's going to win the runs batted in title. He's again, 20 plus runs batted in. He's tied, I think, in a statistical tie for highest batting average in the American League. If you have the highest batting average and the most home runs and you drove the most runs batted in, it's called the triple crown. It's a very rarely accomplished feat. The last New York Yankee that did it was Mickey Mantle in 1956. Because normally home run hitters don't hit for high average. Right. And so here we have, in some sense, as impressive as the 60 home runs um, is, this possibility that he will win the triple crown. Um, and it's interesting because the person who's tied with him for batting averages is Xander Bogarts of the Boston Red Sox and they have been playing today as the last of their four game set and so if Bogarts gets a hit and Judge gets a hit and they remain tied if, if one gets a hit and the other doesn't get a hit the other one jumps ahead by you know point oh one or something and so it's going to be a fun thing whether or not you're a Yankees or other fan or a watch. Boston Red Sox fan either way to watch the if you're a Boston Red Sox fan, you're only cheering that the Yankees fail. <laughs> well, I mean, they, they played their last game tonight, the Yankees versus the Red Sox. And given that Babe Ruth came to the Yankees from the, from Red, the Sox, Red Sox, it, there's a certain, you know, sort of poetic um, 
aspect to judge breaking that record against the, the Red Sox, you know, another sort of pin in your doll. point though about records. Remember it was Roger Maris who said, you know, a season is a season. It doesn't matter the games in the season. It's the season. So do you think it really matters that the, you know, they used to have the asterisk by Roger Maris when he, when he had the home run record because they just didn't want to give it to him because of Babe Ruth, you know, Oh, you know, it took him more games to get there. Do you, any uh, sense of that? Or, and, and I mean, I, I get, well, the, I get the thing about the uh, steroids, but what about a season is a season? I think apples to apples. I think okay. that home runs in a certain, in a, in a specific. That's the logical game. prosecutor in you. <laughs> well, I mean, so for example, there was the strike season, right? right? So there was a shortened season. So they played half the number of games should the person who had the most home runs in that short season be talked about in the same breath as Babe Ruth and Roger Maris? I would think not, but Unless that's a season. Is a, well, I mean, that's, yeah, but that's a season is a season. So I think it's number of games against number of games and um, judges tied Ruth and we'll see whether he can beat Ruth in the next three games. And uh, we'll see whether he ties and or beats Roger Maris. Now the Roger Maris family has been the invitees of Yankees to all of these games. So they are at the home games in New York, watching whether um, Judge beats their dad or grandfather um, in pursuit of this record. So they're being very generous to the, to the Maris family um, and the Maris family has been there, you know, rooting on the Yankees. Well, I'll, I'll take the final word with predicting he, he'll, he will beat uh, Roger Maris's record. I think he will. And I would love to see him get the triple crown. <clears throat> and to your point, John, I, I, at the end of the season, I don't think we'll see him in Myrtle beach, but we'll wait and see. That's there, yeah. There's an interesting media angle in, in this uh, yesterday during ESPN's college football coverage on their net, their various networks, they, they cut in, they took the yes network broadcast every time judge came up and a lot of college football fans are really upset with this <laughs> and, I don't know if ESPN has said if, if they're going to continue doing this, but can you imagine them jumping into an NFL broadcast? Can you imagine Roger Goodell and the other and the NFL owners being okay with that? And this is going to come up Monday night. ESPN has Monday night football and the Yankees play at seven o'clock. So are they really going to go split screen on Monday night football and risk angering the mighty NFL? With I think any luck. Yeah, that's worth tuning in to see how they handle that. Yeah, and, and uh, it will also be interesting to tune in. Oh, I can't open up this can of worms, but I am. It'll also be interesting to see if the NFL forces Snyder to sell the commanders. But that's a thought for another day. That's, that was an interesting story. I, I We have thoughts on that, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I would love to see him force Snyder out. He's the most loathsome character I know other than Trump. And with that being said, well, thank you. It's once again, it's just asked a question. I'm your host, Brian Karam. Thanks for joining us and we'll catch you next time.